A few years ago, I was visiting my cousins and saw a poster in their kitchen featuring a vast landscape of tree-covered mountain ridges that said, Shenandoah National Park. Not a lot to offer unless you like to hike. The poster, which is still hanging on their wall, is part of a series entitled Subpar Parks, the brainchild of Amber Scher, a graphic designer and avid hiker in North Carolina, who, browsing an online travel website, was at first intrigued, then horrified, and finally delighted by some of the negative one-star reviews of some of her favorite national parks. Not a lot to offer unless you like to hike. Wow, she thought, that is it in a nutshell. Out of the mouths of babes and halfwits, I could not have put it better myself. That is inspired. Swine contemplating pearls have nothing on that reviewer, and his views deserve to be more widely known. And so, launched a poster series based on WPA posters from the 1930s encouraging Americans to visit their national parks. But in place of those original captions, Ms. Scher substituted excerpts of real one-star reviews of the parks that she had found online, such as Yosemite National Park. Trees block the view, and there are too many gray rocks and Isle Royale National Park. No cell service and terrible Wi-Fi. Arches National Park looks nothing like the license plate. And Yellowstone National Park, featuring a picture of the spectacular Grand Prismatic Hot Spring. Save yourself some money and boil some water at home. There are many more which I encourage you to seek out and enjoy, but one of my favorites is the poster for Smoky Mountains National Park, admirable for its succinctness. It simply says, nothing specific to do. Why didn't I think of that? I wondered aloud to myself upon reading it. That's just it. So much to do, but nothing specific. No one is spelling out for me exactly how and when I should spend my time. That motto is how I will always think of and treasure the Smokies. And not only the Smokies, but also Jesus' parable of the talents in today's gospel lesson. For as Jesus tells it in Matthew 25, it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away and left them nothing specific to do. No guidance, no instructions, no word on if or when he'd be back in the parable. So I imagine those slaves felt very like they'd just been dropped off in the Smokies. Not much to do here, they may have said to one another, unless you can put two and two together and imagine what our master would like to come back to. Nothing to see here except 
the abundant possibilities to invest our resources well and wisely with those who need them now so that we can welcome our master to a home in better shape than he left it. Not much to offer the world except these extraordinary resources our master has entrusted to us, which with care and perseverance we can use for the benefit of our neighbors. The parable of the talents is part of a series of parables in the Gospel of Matthew about the coming of the Son of Man, as Jesus often called himself. It comes right after the parable we heard last week about the ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom. In today's parable, Jesus seems to be addressing a question that most Christians who take scripture seriously ask about their own lives. Namely, how do we prepare for Jesus' return? What should we do while we're waiting? These are basic questions of life and how to live it. They are timeless, important questions that the Christians in Thessalonica were asking when the Apostle Paul wrote them the letter from which today's second lesson is taken. The Thessalonians, you see, were wondering if, in light of Jesus' imminent return, they should carry on the way they had been, living the way they had been, or, since the end was nigh, if they should A, down tools and pray, B, down tools and party, or C, both of the above. That downing tools was an essential part of preparing for Jesus' return never seems to have been in question, an assumption about which the Apostle Paul makes some rather mordant observations in 2 Thessalonians. In this first letter to the Thessalonians, however, Paul tells them to keep awake and be sober, to put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. In verses 9 through 11, he says, For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are doing. While we are to keep awake and sober, Jesus' return is not something we need to dread, but we can look forward to it. We are to live in the present, filled with the hope of anticipation of Jesus' return. Jesus' parable of the talents provides us with a cosmic context in which to think of our lives and some really practical guidance about how to live here and now. It's especially encouraging to those of us asking the question, what would God have me do? Precisely because in the parable, as in the Smokies, the master leaves the slaves with nothing specific. He just entrusts them with his property, and a lot of it. For a talent is an amount of money worth many thousands of dollars today, and the master expects them to make good use of it based on what they already know of him and what he values. So it is with us. We may wish that God had left us with specific instructions of exactly how to spend each minute of our lives. 
which school to attend, what job to do, whom to marry, how to achieve work-life balance, how to vote, how much money to give away, how much time to spend on the many different things that demand our attention, and how to rid the world of all known diseases. We need to remember that God has in fact revealed himself and his values to us in scripture and in his word incarnate Jesus Christ. He has given us specific instructions first and foremost to love him and one another, which is enough to keep us busy for a lifetime. God outlines for us a picture of what that looks like in the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes, both of which we've heard read here on recent Sundays. In the Bible, we have a whole compendium of history, law, wisdom, stories, prophecy, and letters that reveal God and his character. God has not abandoned us or left us with absolutely no idea of what to do as we look forward to Jesus' return. What he does do is give us a lot of freedom to chart our own course within the structure of his commandments and based on what we know of his character. We may wonder, as the slaves in the parable of the talents probably did, why their master left. And why, with so much evil in the world, he hasn't come back already to set things right? These are valid questions that are addressed in other parts of Scripture and are still widely wondered about. That's part of what makes the parable of the talents so good. It's realistic. Like us, the slaves in the parable don't know everything, and yet they don't need to. As we near the end of this liturgical year and prepare to begin a new one, we look forward to Jesus' return. His parable of the talents reminds us that what we need to prepare for his return is not omniscience, but trust in him to live according to his will, faithful, hopeful, grateful for his gracious gift of salvation, and generous as he himself has modeled for us.